Um, I, I want to talk to you tonight about influencing nations, probably my favorite subject in the last well, 30 years or so. Um, but I, I want to just, I, I think that there's something very powerful happening um, in 2012 coming up. And I really feel like there's a shift happening. And um, I, was, I, was, I haven't thought of this for a long time, but my, um, my daughter-in-law several years ago had a miscarriage. <clears throat> and then, um, so she, uh, she had Elijah, Jason, it was Jason's uh, wife Heather at the time. And she had Elijah, and then she had a miscarriage. It's pretty dramatic um, if anyone's ever had a miscarriage or it's been in your family, you, you know that it's pretty, it's pretty tough. And so um, she had a miscarriage, and then she got pregnant again. And I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember exactly how long that was between the two, but it was probably it seems like it was probably seven or eight, nine, ten months later. And she, um, she started to have all those same symptoms again. She went to the hospital. All of my family happened to be... At, at my house, my, my other sons and daughters, and they happened to be at our house, our little house on Olive Street. And um, so she went to the hospital. In fact, she was supposed to be, she was late. We're like waiting for her. It's like, where, where are you? And, and then um, she went to the hospital and uh, at, to the emergency room and found out that she was miscarrying again. And so she came to the house and she was, um, I don't want to be graphic, but she was, she was a pretty big mess. And we, we brought her in, we put her on the couch, and of course, we were all pretty distraught. And um, everybody was just in the front room, just, you know, doing what family do, just trying to comfort her and, and pray for her. And I felt like I was supposed to retreat to uh, the bedroom and just be by myself. And um, I, I don't really know if it was, at the time, spiritual or, it, you know, I mean, looking back, like, I'm not saying the Lord told me to go to the bedroom or whatever. I think it may have just been part of the way I was dealing with the grief. And, but while I was in there, I was just praying and, and trying to figure out, as the head of this family, um, you know, what I was supposed to do, what my response was supposed to be. And so while I was praying, I felt like the Lord said, he just gave me this word, no. And, I mean, it, it was so resonating in my spirit. that I, uh, And to be honest, I, I, I thought that that, I didn't know that that was a, um, one of the options. I thought that this had already happened. All the symptoms were there and, and on her and in the car, and she'd just been the doctor. So I didn't know no was one of the options, to be honest. I mean, I wasn't thinking in that, like, in that mode. I was trying to figure out. I don't know what I was trying to figure out, to be honest. I was pretty distraught. So I came out of the bedroom, and, um, and my family was there, and I said, you know what? I just was in the bedroom, and I feel like the Lord said that this is not going to happen again and so i put my hands on her on her stomach and of course everybody was pretty um you know a, a lot of emotion and i just began to pray for her and you know and at first i was like just praying like you normally do, lord i just re, you know release healing and and i all of a sudden i felt this holy kind of boldness it's kind of hard to explain um it, it wasn't anything i was creating in myself i can tell you that because i was as, as nervous as they were about it but um, I just, I, I, you, have you kind of ever just heard yourself? And, and you're like, wow, <laughs> that don't even sound like me. 
And I was going, in the name of Jesus, this will not happen. In Jesus' name, I release life in you. This miscarriage will stop. This child will be born full term and healthy. And I was, and not only was I, not only was I saying that, but inside I was so confident that it was going to be just like I had just said. And I wasn't trying to make it up, and it definitely wasn't coming from any place of uh, uh, courageous faith or something. It just came from deep inside of me. And anyway, um, the, long and short of that is Riley was born out of that. Perfectly normal. And um, I honestly haven't thought of that for, a, I don't know, probably years, actually. That happened, gosh, um, probably nine, ten years ago, nine years ago. Um, but as we were uh, worshiping, I just had this deep sense that well, I can just tell you, I felt like the globe was miscarried, had miscarried, and it was trying to miscarry again. And I remembered that child. I remembered Heather laying on the, on the couch in our front room, and I remember just this overwhelming no coming into my spirit. And I, and I felt like, um, you know, I, I shared a message, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, I don't remember, called The X Factor. I just remember the name of it because I, I liked it, the title. <laughs> but it was all about the fact that God has a plan. And I was just, uh, I was recently in the last few months with uh, several businessmen, and we were um, sitting around having dinner, and it was supposed to be like a question and answer. It was in another country, and we we're doing questions and answers, and, and well, one of the uh, businessmen was over the banking system of a particular country, or he was one of the men over the banking uh, he was, he was uh, on a team that was over the banking system of a particular country. And so, and he was very, um, he, he really loves Bethel, listens to iBethel TV, and we were having this conversation. And he started to repeat um, all of the facts about um, the global economy. And he was, he was talking about, and he was very, you know, well-versed in, in the real estate market and the stock market and the global, you know, all these global exchanges and and um, securities and, and he was so he went on for about 10 minutes telling me about how the g- global economy is basically crumbling and when he got all done he looks at me and i'm thinking <clears throat> this is supposed to be a question and answer time i'm discouraged now <laughs> i thought i was supposed to be releasing faith on you but you just released doubt on me and so when he got all done um he said um so I'm asking you, like, what is the Lord saying to you about this? And I'm thinking, he was saying a lot more before you said all that stuff. <laughs> how many of you know what I mean? It's like, like, let me tell you how bad my condition is. It's like, no, no, no. You know, what I'm sharing needs to be by faith because I absolutely don't even know how the global economy works. So, so anyway, so he said, you know, what do you, what do you think about the economy? Do you think the economy is going to collapse and And I was, you know, and these are like, I'm with about 15 um, very intelligent business people. These are all high-level business people. I've been in business before. It's in a small business kind of a thing. These are, these people are leading banks and and securities and stock. And, you know, these are very wealthy people. And so, you know, they're looking for, you know, kind of an intelligent answer. And... And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, well, when he first started talking, I, I thought, this is, this is what I'm going to say. And as he talked, he, he talked me right out of my faith. And I'm like, wow, things are, I'm thinking, things are really that bad. That's what I was thinking. 
I was thinking, well, I didn't know things were that bad. That's what I was thinking. And he's looking at me, and there's this long, uncomfortable pause. Have you ever had those, like, like somebody ought to say something? Like, it's uncomfortable. And, and, and I don't know if he thinks I'm praying or processing. I actually don't actually know what to say. So we sit there for, I don't know, it was probably just 20 or 30 seconds, but it seemed like forever. And, um, and then the Lord said, tell him that I, the devil has a plan, but I have a plan too. So I said, you know, you just repeated the devil's plan. And, you know, and he was he was kind of talking about the secret society. And, you know, and we started having this conversation. Some of the guys kind of piped in about the secret society and, you know, the Illuminati and, you know, the dollar bill and the little eye that's on and all the stuff that's going on in different countries. And, you know, there's this plan and they got the Masons and everybody's got a plan. You know, the devil, he's got a secret plan. And I said, you know, the Lord's got a plan, too. And, and he's, it's in the best-selling book. That's, it's in his best-selling book. And, like, it's not a secret. Like, you know, he's powerful, so he doesn't have to make it a secret. He's like, this is what I'm going to do, and you can't stop me. And he, he published it in the best-selling book. You know, it sold billions of copies. Like, the next best-selling book is, like, it's not even in the same, you know, it's like... It's not even in it's not even in the billions. You know, this book has sold billions of copies. So and, and people have stolen them and give them away too, steal them from the Gideons. <laughs> A man wrote me this is off subject. But this man wrote me one time and he said, you know, the Holy Spirit gives you stuff and then you put it into messages and sell it. And you're selling the word of God. You're prostituting the word of God by by selling your messages. And I wrote him back and said, did you? How did you get your Bible? Did you steal it from the Gideons or did you buy it? He wrote back, good point. But I feel like the Lord has a plan. No, I know the Lord has a plan. And the plan is for to give you a future and a hope. And he, this, this man, this banker man, I'm back there. No, and he goes, and he looks at me, and, and he is talking himself into anxiety. Like, like, his facial expression went from smiling as he's talking, and when he finishes, he, is, he looks stressed out. He's like, I just talked myself into an anxiety attack. And, uh, and he goes, and what's going to happen? This is his final comment. What's going to happen if, if all the economies of the globe, if they all crumble simultaneously? I go, that's called the year jubilee. He looks at me and I said, no one will owe anybody anything and we'll get to start all over. He goes, that's a really good point. <laughs> but, you know, the Lord has a plan. I don't, I don't, do you understand that when, you, when God is your daddy, that's, that anxiety is irrational? And so, and do you know that the whole economy works by faith? What do you think your house is worth? It's worth what anybody, whatever, whatever someone believes it's worth. That's the problem. When faith goes down, the prices of your house go down. I'm believing for a lot. I'm believing for a lot when I sell mine and little when you sell yours. I don't know if that was the Lord. <laughs> but I have this sense that 2012 is the shifting of governments. I have a sense that we're shifting from second heaven ruling the world to the third heaven ruling the world. 
And, um, you know, obviously you've all heard the New Age calendar. Um, I don't know if the New Age, I don't know if New Age people agree on anything, actually, but some of the people in the New Age movement actually believe that, you know, that 2012 is the end of the world. And I agree with them. I think it's the end of one world and the beginning of another one. And I really believe it's a season 12, of course, the number of government. But I really believe that the Lord is bringing about this word that he's that's actually actually been echoing through history for actually thousands of years. I was going to say for 2000 years, but it's actually all through the old covenant that he actually wants to be the father of nations and not just a nation. Now, I'm, I'm not anti, you know, Israel being a nation, but I think that the Lord wants the nations. And um, in, in Romans chapter 4, this verse, read it several times. In fact, let's go to verse 16. For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be according to grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For it is written, A father of many nations I have made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead, and get this, and calls into being things which do not exist. This is about Abraham, verse 18. In hope against hope he believed that he might become a father of many nations, according to which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And I actually believe that the Lord wants to release hope on us, that faith can get connected to, and we can actually be the father of nations, not just a nation, but of many nations. And I think that connects to what Jesus said in Matthew 28, and of course I've quoted this many times. Jesus said, um, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I taught you, all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I, I believe that we're moving into this role of actually being a father to nations. And I had this uh, encounter, I've, I've talked about it several times over the years, that I had this encounter, um, I don't, probably, it was 20 years, 25 years ago, and I was laying in the bathtub and praying. That's why I used to pray, because we had teenagers, and it was the only place, only door, uh, only room in the house that, where the door locked. It kind of locked. You could jiggle it and get it open, but at least people knew you didn't want them in there, which didn't always matter to people. But, um, but I would go in there. I would, go, I would take a bath every night, about five nights a week, and all of my, my two Bibles or three Bibles that I read in those days are all wrinkled. The pages are all wrinkled from the steam. Never did actually drop one. But we had this old clawfoot bathtub, and I would lay in the bathtub, read my Bible, and pray. And um, it wasn't, you know, super spiritual or anything. And, I mean, I never had a glory cloud show up or anything like that. And, um, it, you know, I, I don't ever remember those times as being, you know, you kind of have mountaintop experiences. I don't remember. I mean, I did it for years. I, I was more of a, I don't know if the word discipline, but it was more like a discipline to me. I just would read and, and pray and and um, but one day I was in the bathtub and I was reading and praying and just doing what I did. It didn't feel like there was anything different, anything particular that I was doing that was different, except for this one thing. When I started to pray, I kind of had my eyes closed and 
and I was leaning back against the tub, and, and all of a sudden I had this um, vision. I had this powerful vision, and the presence of the Lord came into the room, and He began to talk to me about my future. And it lasted about a half an hour, and it was it was kind of awesome, scary, and exciting all rolled up into one. And and the Lord started to talk to me. And at the time we owned, I think we I think at the time we owned a service station, just a service station. We were living way up in the mountains, of course, in Weaverville. And um, I was working as a mechanic and, and a, a business owner. And um, the Lord uh, said he he started to tell me about my future. And the things he was telling me was so crazy. Like, it wouldn't be things... You know how he says he wants to give you more than you ask or think? Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I think I'm a visionary. And I'm praying for things like bigger businesses, more business, you know, uh, my, that my children would serve God. I'm, I, you know, those are my kind of prayers. My prayers are kind of limited to my environment. You know, it's kind of like... Um, Henry Ford said, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. I didn't know what to dream. I thought I was dreaming, but I had, I, you know, I had never been on a plane. I had, I've only been out of California like four times in my life. And that was to Oregon and Nevada. I mean, I was dreaming inside. I mean, I thought I was dreaming big and, um, and I'm in Weaverville. So, you know, I'm dreaming bigger than the people I hang out with. Who are dreaming of a nice cabin and, you know, uh, by the, you know, by the creek and, you know, they're, they're dreaming about their retirement. And I'm, I'm dreaming about my business and about my children. And so, you know, I think I'm dreaming pretty big. And then the Lord comes in the room and he begins to talk to me. And I, I won't tell you everything, but, in, uh, but a few of the things he told me about. And by the way, let me just say this. I didn't tell anybody that I had that encounter for a year. I didn't even tell Kathy. Which was pretty hard. I came out of that, the bathroom and I thought, if I tell anybody, they're going to think I'm arrogant or nuts. Because the, the things the Lord was talking to me about were outside of any box that anyone that I knew was living in. Which is a pretty small group of people that I was associated with at the time. And so, when I came, when, so the Lord started talking to me and he said, I have called you to be a prophet to the nations. Well, first of all, when he said prophet, that broke my box. I mean, we had a couple prophet friends, right? And I'm like, those are the guys like, you know, they're like, there's God. And then there's like Dick Joyce. <laughs> I mean, we would prepare for Dick Joyce when he came. Like we were like two months before he come. We're like, Dick Joyce is coming. He's going to give he's going to give us a word. It's going to be amazing. Remember those days? Dick Mills, you know, and these these were men we we revered. It's like, you know, we didn't use the word prophet like. You know, like sometimes it's used in certain circles. It's like, oh, that person's a prophet. So, so the Lord says, I have called you to be a prophet. And I'm like, okay, we can stop right there. Then he continues on, like, to nations. I'm like, whoa, we're not going to tell anybody about this. <laughs> and, I, you know, and things are going through my mind. Well, what, when, when the Lord's in the room, the only thing that's going through my mind is, this is amazing, this is awesome, this is unbelievable, this is really happening. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit like Gideon, like, Hello? This is Weaverville. You got the wrong house. I'm in the bathtub. I own a gas station. I have no education. 
And the, and the Lord says, I'm, I'm calling you to be a prophet to nations. And when the whole thing was over, you know, obviously a few days later, I'm processing when I'm not in the, this awesome presence. I'm thinking, well, first, I have a problem with the nation thing because I'm afraid to fly. Because that's why I've never been on a plane. Like, not only do I not have money, but I'm afraid of flying. Because I have claustrophobia. And when they close the plane door, it's sort of claustrophobic because you can't get out. Well, I know you can, but it doesn't, it doesn't work out very well for you if you do. <laughs> so the Lord's telling me, I'm going to make you a prophet to nations. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what I must have, you know, my face, uh, facial expressions must look like. I'm a, I must have been like, <sighs> but that was, that's what was happening in my mind was like, and he's like, you're going to speak to kings and presidents and prime ministers and mayors and governors and leaders of countries and leaders of businesses and, and CEOs of, of great companies. And I'm going to take you all over the world and you're going to speak the word of the Lord to them. I'm like, oh, this is going to be very interesting, you know. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get in there. Uh, hello, I graduated from, almost kind of graduated. From, well, I got a degree in woodshop. Wasn't exactly sure how I was going to get in there. But um, but so I have this so I have this experience and and um, and there's a, I'll just a, a ton more that the Lord talked to me about building nations. Uh, what you're doing on cars, you're going to do for nations. You're going to you're going to heal nations. You're going to build nations. You're going to get structure, strategy, all this stuff. I'm like it was coming so fast. I could I, I couldn't even process it all. And uh, and so then in the vision, the Lord turns to leave. This part really struck me. He turns to leave, and I'm just like, you can imagine, I'm just like, I'm just stunned. And, you know, if, if a person would have given me that word privately, I could have been like, well, whatever, they're trying to make you feel good. I mean, I could have probably thought some way to rationalize and all. But because the Lord was standing in front of me in this vision, I'm like, well, it's pretty hard. And this probably isn't the devil. Like, he probably doesn't want me to. Maybe he does. Maybe the devil's trying to get me on a plane so he could kill me, you know? <laughs> But the Lord turns to go. I won't forget this. He turns to go and he stops and turns back and he points to me and he's looking into my eyes. And I'm probably like, I would imagine I've got that. And he stares into my eyes and it's like there's like a pause and and he points to me and he says, and history will tell us if you believe me. That's what he said to me. And history will tell us if you believe me. Now, that unloaded a whole another, you know, that, that wrecked one of my theological boxes of sovereignty. And I don't even know how all that works, to be, tell you the truth. Actually, I'm not sure anyone does. Even the people who write whole books on it, I actually don't think they know what they're talking about. But so, so, so the Lord said, I'm going to do all this. Like, here's your box. This is your dreaming in this box and you're praying in this box right here. And that's a good box. I like that box. You just keep doing that. But actually, this is this is what I got for you. This I want. I want this is this is my word to you. And I just gave you grace for it. I just enabled you to do what you couldn't do a second before I came into this room. And by the way, if this doesn't happen, it won't be my fault. There's two of us involved here. There's me in the room and there's you in the room. And if history will tell us when we look from heaven and we look back and we rerun this word, history will tell us if you actually 
believe me. Because if you believe me, you will have changed the course of history. But if you didn't, then history will have gone on without you. And it won't be me to blame. It will be you because you didn't do what I called you to do. Now, he didn't say all that. He just said, history will tell us if you believe me. Yeah, I was pretty smart. I figured that all the rest of it out for myself. So, I believe that God wants us to influence history. I think that there's a lot of us that are dreaming, like, you know, and we're dreaming in our little box and we're like, awesome, I want to have nice kids. I want my kids to serve God. By the way, I want my kids to serve God, don't you? I want my grandkids to serve God. Now I'm going for my great-great-grandkids. I want them all to serve God. I want them to have a great life. I want them to outgrow me. I want them to do more than me. More than us, more than whatever. You know, I have all those. So, you know, I want you to know that I, that I still think all that stuff. But I, I think that there's a lot of us, we're dreaming and we're like, whoa, you know, I have this big dream. Like someday, like I was with a guy recently. He's like, one of the, one, someday I want to be one of the rich, richest Christians in the world. I'm like, what for? I don't want money. I just want power. <laughs> I'm supposed to be funny. I just want to be able to change the world. I, I don't, I don't, you can't take money with you. I, 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 I think that we need to be dreaming big. And I think that sometimes when we're dreaming in this little Weaverville box and we're reading the Bible, we're reading Weaverville right into it. When God says, I want you to disciple nations, we're like, yeah, you know, we need to take care of ethnic groups. I mean, we're reducing the book down to our environment. We're reading into it things God didn't say. Or maybe we're reducing it down to something we can actually believe. But it says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed, and thus he became a father to nations. And so shall his descendants be. And I have the sense that God actually, you know, I don't, I don't know why, but to me, like, like the, the rapture mentality, like if Jesus is coming back right now and, and people are going, I'm, I want to go. And the main reason I want to leave is because I don't like pain. And so I actually don't want to die because that sounds painful to me. Otherwise, I'd stay around till, and do what I could. But if I could get out of pain some way, I would do that. <laughs> Tracy Evans wrote, uh, we're writing a book with Tracy Evans, and she wrote, If the rapture happened right now, I would ask Jesus if I could stay so I could understand the fellowship of his suffering. I, I, I X that out of her manuscript. I'm like, no, 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 we ain't writing that. <laughs> I've had enough suffering my whole life. I'm getting out of here. If he comes back right now, I'm like, take me, take me. Don't leave me with the beast. Don't leave me with those books left behind. But I think there's, a, I think there's a whole. Oh, we're trying to preach shorter. I'm trying to preach shorter. It's not working. But I think there's a whole mentality that we have to. I, I, you know, I think we come up against this mentality of. of I, I think the get out of here mentality is keeping us from getting in here. I think the get out of here mentality is keeping heaven from getting in here. And I, I just really want us to just begin to get out of the Weaverville box and begin to dream. 
Well, I don't know how I would disciple a nation. Hey, you're talking to a guy who wouldn't get on a plane 10 years ago. Not 15. I know everything seems like it's cramming for my finals. And so it says that in hope against hope, Abraham believed. And he became father, the father of nations. And that, you know, what does that mean, hope against hope? And you, know, you understand that, the, that in order to be a father of nations, you kind of at least have to have one kid. And so the Lord promised Abraham and Sarah a child. And you know this whole story. And, and they weren't having children. And so um, they decided to have their own plan. And they had a, a child through their, their mistress, Hagar. And Ishmael was born, right? And Abraham goes to God and he's like, can you bless Ishmael? And the Lord's like, no, I'm not. No way. That was your plan. I'm not blessing your plan. I'm only blessing my plan. And Abraham has this, you know, strong conversation with the Lord. And the Lord finally says, listen, okay, I will bless Ishmael. He will become great in the earth, but he won't be the promised son. So then finally they have Isaac, right? But it's it's when I don't know, was Abraham was like ninety nine. So, I mean, they're pretty old. And it says when when um, God came to Abraham and Sarah and said um, at this time next year, you're going to have a child it says that Sarah laughed and she said, shall I have pleasure with my master all the I'm old? And it says that she was beyond the years of childbirth. So she had she had passed menopause and she was you know, she she couldn't have children. And so what I'm getting at is that you can imagine that monthly, if you will, he, they hoped like maybe this maybe this is the month and, and and hope against hope. It says he believed. So every month, you know, from the time God spoke that word to him, they hope, well, maybe, you know, maybe Sarah's pregnant and then, you know, it doesn't happen. There's signs that it didn't happen and, and and hope against hope. He believed. And so he became the father of nations. And then the Lord says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your your only son, to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. How many understand that Isaac wasn't Abraham's only son? He, had, he was the father of Ishmael and Isaac. But how many know that the Lord only wants, to, only wants what you want? How many understand that if you, if you think that all your promises are in a job or a person or whatever you put your faith in, God wants that. So Abraham doesn't have, he doesn't have all his promises in Ishmael, but he has all his, all his promises in Isaac. And God says, okay, I need you to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And when Abraham takes him to the top of the mountain and, you know, gets a knife and he's got him on the sacrifice table. And I'm sure that that was very stressful for Isaac. He probably needed lots of sozos <laughs> in her healing. And that was before child protection services and all of that <laughs> stuff was going on. And. God stops him and says, okay, now I know, now I know that you trust me. Now I know that you believe me. And, you know, I want to say this, that some of you, um, you have your Isaac and you're like, you, 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 like God gave you a promise. It really was God. And you're like, oh, all my life are in these promises. And I'm like, no, no, actually your life is in God. And some of you um, lost your promise. Like it got sacrificed. It went away. And you, you had this whole idea how it was all going to happen, like the Lord spoke to you in the bathtub, so to speak. And he gave you this word. And you're like, oh, this is the way it's going to happen. You have it all figured out. And then something happened. And you lost all that. And you're like, it's, uh, it's all over. And the Lord wants you to know, no, your promise, listen, the promises of God aren't in Isaac. The promises of God are in God. 
And, and God knows how, and Abraham said in Hebrews 11, or it says of Abraham in Hebrews 11, that Abraham believed that if he sacrificed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. He just believed that God was faithful to bring about promises. Are you with me? But I believe that if you're dreaming of something that you can do by yourself, that you're dreaming too small. You, you're, you may not like, you may like, I have no desire to talk to kings or presidents or prime ministers. That's fine. You know, you, whatever it is that you're dreaming with God, it needs to be something that you can't do without God. I don't mean just like think of something like, well, I could probably make a half million dollars, so I'll say a million. I'm not saying that. I'm saying dream with God. Allow, ask God what his purpose is for you and begin to dream with him. Are you following me? Um, but I, w- I want to just talk for a few minutes about influencing nations, and we'll probably do this fairly quickly. If you'll turn to Genesis chapter 41, I'll probably tell you the story. There's, um, there's two very, um, there's, there's a paradox in the scripture about how to influence nations. And I'm sure there's more than two ways, but, um, it, there's, there's Daniel and Joseph and I'll just, I'll just tell it, I'll just share it with you this way. There's Daniel and Joseph, two prophets to two wicked Kings, Joseph to Pharaoh in Egypt and Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, um, Belshazzar, Darius and Cyrus. He, he actually served four Kings. And then there's um, Elijah and Elisha, and there's lots of other prophets. I'm just giving you a contrast. And I, I started to think um, last night, in fact, I'll probably just read you what I wrote. It'll probably be a lot quicker. Um, but I just started thinking about the way that, that we're going to move into this fathering, influencing, transforming culture, seeing the kingdom come, discipling nations. And um, in Isaiah 60, and I just want to give you a little hope. In Isaiah 60, I love this, Arise and shine for your light has come. For behold, deep darkness covers the earth, deep darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, his glory will be seen upon you. Get this part, verse 3. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. In uh, verse 11, he says, Your gates will be opened continually. They will not be closed day or night so that men will bring wealth, will bring the wealth of nations into you and their kings will lead the procession. Um, and it goes on and on like that in uh, Isaiah chapter one. I'm sorry, chapter two. I just want to give you. In Isaiah chapter two, it's one of my favorite verses. It says this. Verse two. Now it shall come about in the last days that the, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. How many of the nations will stream to it? All the nations. And many people will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob. He will teach us concerning his ways. What did the Lord say? He said, make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I commanded you. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths for for the instruction shall go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Get this. He will judge between nations. He will render decisions between many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. Their spears, they will hammer into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. And never again will they train for war. Now that's probably way out of your Weaverville box. Like you, you have, you might... You might push that into your millennium box. But it's interesting that it doesn't say a word about the millennium. It says in the last days. And how many know that started Acts 
Peter, when, Peter sit, when Peter gets up and quotes Joel, who says, In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. How many of you believe these are the last days? And so have we seen, we haven't seen nation not rising up against nation. We haven't seen factories take the place of, um, it says you'll, you'll beat your hammers, you'll beat your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks. We haven't seen, this metaphor language, of course, we haven't seen um, ammo plants turning into some kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, something that benefits society. And what I'm getting at is, is that God's dreaming a bigger dream than you're dreaming. God's dreaming beyond what you ask or think. I wonder how many people are actually dreaming like Isaiah 2. I wonder how many are waking up at night and going, I just believe we're in this season where nation is not going to rise up against nation anymore. Kingdom is not going to rise up against kingdom because the Lord's going to make decisions between many nations and they're all going to stop fighting. They're going to get rid of their weapons and they're all going to start fighting. And there's going to be peace on earth. Goodwill to my mom used to say mothers. But I think it would be everyone. Are you, are you following me at all? And so I, I'm saying that I believe that the Lord wants us to move in this 2012 season, begin to start this move of God into fathering nations. And I'm not exactly sure what all that looks like. You know, when I was thinking about, um, I, I've been meeting with, with some leaders of, of countries and, and some leaders of business that it hasn't like been like this huge thing. But I always walk in to these meetings wondering, what do I have? Uh, you can probably understand what I mean. I, I, I'm not, I don't have anything educationally that I can give to these people. So what do I have? And I'm thinking, well, I have prophetic words. I could give these prophetic words. I'm getting these words. And the last few times that I've been in um, the presence of uh, powerful people that are leading a country or a city or, or whatever, I I have felt this overwhelming sense that what I have to bring more than anything else is fatherhood. Like, I think that nations are fatherless and they're looking for fathers and mothers. And when I say father, I'm not talking about the gender father. I'm talking about leadership. They're looking for family. They're looking for somebody who cares about them, not because they're powerful, not because they're significant, not because they not because they're wealthy, but because they're people. And I and I and I found that um, this is going to shock you that everybody in the world actually has needs, don't matter how much money and power you have. And when you get below the surface of power and money, there's actually normal people underneath that surface who have the same challenges and struggles that you have. And oftentimes they feel very isolated from uh, from the ability to actually process with anybody because people walk out of their process meetings with them um, and they. Go tell somebody, which is not a very good plan. Or they give it, share it as a testimony or so on and so forth. And so these people get very isolated. And I, I feel like the Lord wants us to begin to move into nations and probably bigger than this, but and become fathers and mothers to nations. Are you with me? And I feel like this is a mandate that's on our movement. Now, I want to now I want to give you a little contrast and I'm just going to read you what I wrote. Then we'll go back to uh, a couple of the scriptures to just kind of look them up. I wrote this this morning at three o'clock this morning. I just woke up and I just had this thing going through my mind. I'm sorry. It's not edited. I hope it's um, anyway, whatever. When we contrast the life of Joseph, Joseph and Daniel with the life of Elijah and Elisha, two different ministries begin to emerge. 
All of these prophets were called by God, but with extremely different distinctive mandates. Joseph and Daniel built friendships with enemy kings of two worldly nations and transformed them, transformed them, transformed the nations from the inside out. Elijah and Elisha had mostly adversarial relationships with kings and yet created cultural reformation from the outside in. We find a particular, we find a similar pattern when we compare the life of John the Baptist, who, G, who Bill Jesus preached about this morning. I'm sorry, that was Bill. We find a similar pattern when we can, <laughs> supposed to be funny, I was a little delayed. We find a similar uh, pattern when we compare the life of John the Baptist, who is a pastor's kid preaching repentance in the wilderness, with Jesus, whose adopted father was a carpenter. Unlike John, Jesus preached in the temple and built strong friendships with sinners, which included participating in their social life. Their parents, their parents had angel visitations in which both of their children were commissioned from childhood to very specific ministries. In other words, Elizabeth and Zachariah, Joseph and Mary, both have angel visitations. But they were both commissioned. Jesus was commissioned in one type of ministry. John was commissioned in another. Are you with me? Metaphorically speaking, uh, John sang the dirge, which is the funeral song, and Jesus played the flute, which is the wedding song. That's Luke um, chapter 7. It's important to understand... It's important to understand how hard Jesus and John worked to respect each other's ministry. John told people, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's John 1, 36. Well, Jesus, well, Jesus, was in, well, Jesus insisted on being baptized by John. This is remarkable when you consider the fact that John's baptism was specifically for repentance. Acts 19.4 says that John baptized for repentance. So it's... it's um, this is remarkable when you, it's remarkable what I'm trying to say. It's remarkable that Jesus insists that John baptizes him because John's baptism is specifically for repentance. Are you with me? It's, um, and Jesus never sinned. Yet the Holy Spirit came on John, I'm sorry, came on Jesus when he honored John's ministry, and the Father spoke to him from heaven when he was baptized. Jesus, John's respect for Jesus' ministry cost him a lot of his staff as many of them decided to work for Jesus instead of John. Do you remember that in John 1, 3? When, when, when John first says, this is the Lamb of God, half of his staff left and followed Jesus instead of following John. In the last years of his life, John questioned whether Jesus was the Messiah. His concern may have very well surfaced because Jesus had a growing reputation as a drunkard and a friend of sinners. That's Luke, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 11. Remember that the angel of the Lord told John's parents that he would drink no wine or strong drink, yet Jesus was making wine at social events. <laughs> Jesus reminded John of the miraculous works of God that were happening through his ministry in spite of his reputation. That's Luke 7. And all, here's, where, here's where I'm coming from. When you contrast the life of John the Baptist and Jesus, when you contrast the life of Daniel... Uh, and Joseph with that of Elijah and Elisha, you see two completely separate ministries. You see Daniel building a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, I probably don't have to tell you, was the king of Iraq, and he was extremely wicked, made Saddam Hussein you know, look like a school, uh, a school bully. Um, he was building statues to himself, killing people who didn't, you know, who didn't serve him, and so on and so forth. But Daniel builds friendships with him, and what I was going to read in, um, in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, it says, He chose Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And by the way, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually, 
That's not their name. It's three names of the gods of Babylon. And Daniel's name, uh, the king did not call Daniel Daniel. He called him Belshazzar, which is the name of his specific god. And it says that Daniel, this is chapter 4 of Daniel, Daniel became the chief of the magicians, if you were the sorcerers, and, and, um, and he took on the name of the king's god to serve the king. And Joseph, if you will, married into the Pharaoh's family, and he married, and he, and he had the king, Joseph, the Pharaoh of uh, Egypt, gave Joseph his wife, who was the daughter of a false god's priest, priesthood. In other words, her father was a priest of a false god, and that became his wife. Joseph married into, if you will, the occult. Yeah, look it up. I just read it the other day, yesterday. And Joseph served, built a friendship with Pharaoh. And in the 45th chapter of Genesis, his brothers, this is when he's revealing himself to his brothers. I'm sorry, do you know the story? If you don't, this probably some of this message isn't going to make any sense. But Joseph gets sold into slavery because his brothers sell him into slavery. He obviously has 11 other brothers. He doesn't know he has the 11th, but he has 11 other brothers. Gets sold into slavery. He becomes a slave to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's servants. And then um, his Potiphar's wife claims that she, she was raped by Joseph. And so he goes to prison, which, by the way, Joseph is innocent if you don't know the story. He goes to prison. In the, he takes over the prison like he's, the favor of God is so on him that the, the, um, the prison governor, like our own Paul here, gives him the keys to the prison and he literally leads the prison. He's leading the prison as a prisoner. And then finally the king has a dream, Joseph, uh, the pharaoh has a dream, and they bring Joseph in to interpret the dream. And that's kind of a quick story on how Joseph becomes um, connected to pharaoh. He interprets the dream, and then he tells Pharaoh what he should do about the dream. And the, and the dream was that there was skinny calf, there was there were seven fat calves and seven skinny calves, and the seven skinny calves ate the seven fat calves. And he didn't know what that meant. Joseph interprets the dream and then tells him there's seven great years of, of plenty, and there's seven years of famine. And here's what I would do about that. And he gives them gives him a word of wisdom. Are you following me at all? Am I making any sense? And so my point is is that he builds a friendship with Pharaoh, who is actually not a good guy, at least in the beginning of the story. And when his brothers come back for food because of the famine, he's talking to his brothers and he says this, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. And then he makes this powerful statement in the 45th chapter of Genesis. He says, he's telling his brothers about his position in Egypt, and he's telling them that he's ruling over Egypt. And he says this, and I have become a father to Pharaoh. Now, does that remind you of anything? I want you to make disciples of nations. And Abraham, you will be a father to, to nations. And Joseph says to his brothers, listen, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. I am just in just the right place. In fact, I, not only am I a ruler of the country, but I am a father to Pharaoh. The most stunning verses, I cry over them. I don't know why. When I read the book of Genesis, especially, I love the story of Joseph for, I don't know, lots of different reasons. But in the, in the 50th chapter, in the 49th chapter of Genesis, Joseph's father, who is, named, is Israel, Jacob, changed his name Israel. 
Joseph's father dies. And, and it says in the 50th chapter, it says that the Israelites allowed 40 days to grieve over Israel, over Jacob, if you will, Joseph's father. And it says this, but, here's, but there's an amazing statement here. It says, but the Egyptians wept for 70 days. The Israelites wept for 40 but the Egyptians, they didn't weep inside some law like you have to grieve for 40 days. They wept for 70 days for Israel. When, when Joseph's father comes into Israel, he says to, to the Pharaoh, Joseph says to Pharaoh, this is my dad. And Pharaoh says, would you bless me? Would you bless me? I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. It's like, here's this man who doesn't know God, this Egyptian. He's had this dream. I don't know. He's got something going on his side. He's got something spiritual going on his side because I'm sure, like most people, we all have dreams. But this man knows that what he dreamt is not just a dream. It's something to do with his future, but he can't figure out what it is. I mean, the guy's desperate to know what his dream means. Come on. This is pretty serious stuff. I mean, this is like, you know, well, I had a dream. It kind of bothered me. I'm like, you know, and... and Nebuchadnezzar has the same condition and he's willing to kill all the wise men. You understand? It's like kill all your counselors because they can't tell you the dream and then tell you what it means. These people are serious about the fact that they've had an encounter with God. They know they don't they don't have language for it, but they know they've had an encounter with God. They know that God has given them something to do with their future, but they don't know what it is. And they begin to build friendships with two guys who can interpret dreams. And they, can't, they don't just interpret dreams. they got some wisdom and intelligence and they know protocol and there's some other stuff going on. And I wish there was more time. But these guys aren't just walking in the king's castle in their old clothes. It says Daniel shaved, got all cleaned up. I mean, it's like he's, he understands some protocol. He's like, if you will, he's acting princely. He becomes friends with the, the Pharaoh. It is so powerful. And so he comes to Pharaoh. This is in the 50th chapter. And he says, my father has died. My father has died. And he made me promise him on his deathbed that I would not bury him in Egypt. But I would bury him in the promised land. Our fathers were promised this land. But I need some time off. And I need permission to leave Egypt so I could go to the promised land. I'll be back. I give you my word. I will be back. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, not only can you go, but we're all going with you. And when they're going with Joseph, you know, they're not like, well, let's make sure Joe comes back. It isn't that at all. They're going with Joseph. They're weeping along the way. The Egyptians, it doesn't say what the Israelites are doing. The Egyptians are weeping along the way. And the Canaanites, who are good, they're not good people either at the time. They see the Israelites and the Egyptians heading for this tomb to bury Israel. Are you with me? In the promised land. And when they see them, they name the place. And I'm sorry, I don't remember what the Hebrew name is. But it means the place where the Egyptians grieved. I just have this deep passion 
that the world, not the worldliness, but that the, that the world that Jesus died for would actually love us. I, I understand there's paradoxes and all of that. I, I understand. I, you know, I've been reading the Bible a long time. Scriptures are coming to my mind that you could be thinking about too. I'm, I'm not talking about worldliness. I'm not talking about you won't be persecuted. I understand that there's persecution and all that. But there are people that are hungry for God that don't know God. I just can feel it in my spirit. And I understand, I was just reading 2 Corinthians 6 where he says, come on, be separate, you know, you don't have anything to do with, with, with don't have anything to do with partnerships with, with, you know, with worldliness and all that. And then I read that Jesus was friends with sinners and hung out with them and he went to their social events and he had fun with them and he must have done it so much. And I'm not being rude or, or uh, and you would know that I'm not trying to dishonor the Lord, but to the place where they literally called Jesus a drunkard. Like they literally said, the guy's a party animal. He's a drunkard. Like how could he be the Christ? He hangs out. It isn't like, oh, he's got some friends who are sinners. It's like, and he's trying to convert them. He's literally with them and having fun with them. And we have this, con- this contrast between, between Daniel and, and Joseph. I mean, they're, on one side, they're building relationships inside the palace. They're... Um, I said compromise, they're customizing without compromise, and, and Bill brought up some good points. I, I, I'm not sh- exactly what, sure what the right words are, but the point is, is that they're doing what the Lord is allowing them. Da- Daniel won't eat the king's food. You, you know, he's, he prays three times a day, even when there's an edict that he can't. But on the other hand, he doesn't mind be, being called a sorcerer or, or a magician, or, and he doesn't mind that the king's calling him by some name of his God. I don't know if he minds, but I mean, he's, it's, it's happening. I'm just saying it's happening. I probably troubled him. I, my, it's just a guess. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But my point is, is that there are, there, are, there are some things that for some reason he feels, this is okay. This violates my relationship with God. I'm not doing that. And you got the same thing with Joseph. Like he won't sleep with the king's, I'm sorry, he won't sleep with Potiphar's wife. You know, and you know, there's all kinds of, there's, there's lots around that story, but there's integrity. These people have integrity. God can trust them in the king's palace because they, because they, they're virtuous people. And then on, on the other side of that, it's getting long. On the other side of that, you got Elijah, Eli, uh, Elisha, Elijah and Elisha. And you got Elijah, Elijah in um, First um, Kings 18, and that's the story where he stops the rain in First Kings 17. There's a big famine, and it's Ahab and Jezebel ruling, and he doesn't have any patience for those guys at all. And he's not trying to build friendships with Ahab or Jezebel. He tells them, "I'm stopping the rain. Listen, and not only that, I'm killing all your prophets. Get them down here, and you know, let's have you know, let's have a cook-off. <laughs> let's see whose God is really God." And he's he challenges them and. And, you know, when, when, when the prophets of Baal, 450 of them lose, they all die. So it's a fight to the death. And he stops the rain, and the, there's such a bad famine, three and a half years, that people are literally cannibalizing each other. This is no like, hey, you know, we didn't get much rain this year. This is like, people are starving to death. That's Elijah. And he's got no patience for Ahab whatsoever. Ahab comes to him in First in Kings uh, 18 and says, you are the troubler of Israel. He says, no, no, no. You are the troubler of Israel. You have followed false gods. You have brought this on yourself. 
And, that, and that's his relationship with, with Ahab and Jezebel. And he, Elisha, his protege, picks up that same kind of spirit. I mean, he, he's all right talking to Jehoshaphat, but he doesn't want anything to do with the Israelite king because the Israelite king isn't serving God and he's got the same attitude. And all I'm getting at is they were both godly people. All four of these men. They were all godly people. They were all called to the ministry. They were all called to, by God to do what they were doing. Two guys were called to be inside the palace. Two guys were called to be outside the palace. Both people transformed cultures. One, two from the outside, two from the inside. Are you with me? We have John the Baptist. He, he, from, from the time he's, when, he, when he's born, or before he's born, the angel says he will not drink wine or strong drink. You will not put a razor to his face. It's like, listen, this guy is going to be set aside for God. Are, are you with me? He's kind, of, he's kind of like, I don't know, if he, almost like a holier man in a sense of his restrictions. Like he's only going to do this. And John the Baptist guys fast all the time. I mean, they fast so much that they're bothered by the fact that Jesus' disciples don't fast. Now, we know Jesus fasted at least 40 days because it's recorded. But evidently, Jesus didn't require his people to fast. But John the Baptist guys are fasting. That's one reason why they're probably like, that looks like grass is greener over there. They're drinking wine. They get, they get to eat all the time. Guy looks like he's got a better message than you. He's preaching in the temple. We're out here. They're going to parties. I'm with them. That was a joke. But it does contrast. You got John the Baptist who won't drink wine. Are you with me? He can't drink wine. He won't, not just that he won't. He can't drink wine. He can't go to parties. He's a preacher's kid. He's preaching in the wilderness. He's wearing weird stuff. He's eating weird stuff. And it's his life. When I was in uh, Hong Kong, I said, he even ate grasshoppers. You guys don't even eat grasshoppers. And they shouted. There was about 3,000 of them in the stadium. And they said, yes, we do. I said, well, you don't wear a camel, sir. <laughs> they all just laugh. It was funny. I'm like, I guess they do eat grasshoppers. Sorry about that. My point is this, is that there are people who are called. Let me, let me back up. I think that we as the body of Christ are called to transform the world. There are people who are called to be in the palace, so to speak. You get it? It's a metaphor now. Now I'm using it as a metaphor. There are people who are called to be in the palace and make friends with the king. And help the king and love the king. It's... It's a wonderful story when, when Darius, who is the one who throws Daniel in the lion's den, and by the way, Daniel's 93, so it's probably why the lions didn't eat him. I don't know if it's totally miraculous. The lion's like, you go first. That was a joke. It's not a joke that he was 93. Probably a bigger miracle that he survived the fall. It says, it's in Daniel 6, and Darius fasted all night. Remember, he was tricked into signing the edict. He didn't realize it was Daniel that was worshiping another god besides him. It says, and Darius fasted all night. I do that. It's a royal fast. I fast all night. And it says, at daybreak, he runs to the, he runs to the lion's den. And when he's still far away, it says, he yells. Now, you can understand, you can feel the anxiety in the king's heart. Oh, my goodness, what have I done? And he yells, Daniel was your God, who you serve both day and night, able to save you. And out of, the, out of the lion's den, he hears this response to the guy who threw him in the lion's den. Oh, king, may you live forever. 
Man, that's my heart. I just have a heart to love people who are leading countries and who don't know what the heck they're doing or who they're serving. But there's these other people that are outside the castle. They're calling for famine. They're protesting. You know, are you with me? You know, I mean, there's just dozens of examples all through the Bible. You got Esther living in a castle. You got Mordecai protesting outside the castle. And I, and I, and I love this. I love this about Jesus and John. That they had an incredible value for one another's ministry. In which John has one calling on his life. He doesn't drink wine. He's preaching repentance. He's not making friends with any sinners. John and Jesus both do have one thing in common. None of them like the Pharisees. <laughs> when they come to John, he goes, Ah, oh, you brought a vipers. Who told you to repent? Jesus called them. <laughs> You know, uh, whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. So they, they got along on that area right there. The common, their commentary on the religious culture was pretty, pretty the same. But, but John has this conviction by God that he must behave this way. That he must not go to parties. He must not drink wine. And he's preaching. He's singing the dirge. It's the funeral song. He's preaching repentance. I mean, you can read some of his messages. They're pretty tough messages. Jesus, on the other hand, he's hanging out with wealthy people. I don't mean he's just hanging out with wealthy people, but, you know, when, you, when one of your best friends, her perfume costs a year's wages, she's got some money. If just your perfume costs 50 grand, you've got money. He's got a seamless gown. He's preaching in the temple. He's making. He's getting invited to parties, <laughs> which I don't know, John. I don't know if you would want John to come to a party. <laughs> so anyway, that's a whole other story. But the disciples are coming. Jesus is making wine for them. He's being. He's friends with sinners. John's not having any part of any of that. John's got a totally different worldview than that. And yet, Jesus comes to John and says, I need you to baptize me. And John is like, seriously? Hello. Listen, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. And Jesus is like, it's necessary. You need to baptize me. It's not that John's putting him under the water. It's that this is a baptism of repentance with a guy who's never sinned. Are you with me? What's he doing? Well, I'm not sure of everything he's doing, but I know one thing he's doing. He's validating this guy's ministry. And he's saying, even though I am called to this, I believe in this. And when he's baptized, get this, when he crosses over, you, if you will, into the, this other man's call and gets baptized, Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove and the Father speaks to him from heaven. I think moving forward, there are people who are called I'm, I, I, just, I just don't know exactly I know that whatever I say is going to be taken some way I don't mean it, so I'm trying to find words. If I use the word protest, it doesn't actually 
say what I'm trying to say, but can't think of a better word. There are people who are called to protest, if you will, outside the castle. And there are people who are called to make friends with the king. We have to be careful. We need to be baptized by those folks. Well, it doesn't mean that we have to become them. And they need to be able to respect what we're doing. Because when they were born, the angel said he wanted to drink wine. He won't drink strong drink. He won't cut his beard. But Jesus didn't get that word. Are you following me? And it's important that we let people be true to their call, even though it isn't our call. And listen, I, I think, I believe with all my heart that, in, in my metaphor, that we're like Daniel and Joseph. And if you're with us and you're like Elijah and Elisha, God bless your soul. We're glad you're here. That's not our DNA. But we want, we want you to baptize us. We, want, we don't want angry people running around judging people. We're not looking for that. But we understand that there are people that, from another tribe that they have their call too. Are you with me? And this is what I call divine paradox, because you wonder how this and this can exist simultaneously, because this almost has one set of core values. You know, this says be friends with sinners. Hey, be merciful. Love people who don't deserve it. This this kind of says come out and be separate. Hey, don't touch what's unclean. Um, you know, if you can read first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter six, it's pretty dramatic. It's like, don't touch what's unclean. Don't build partnerships with people who, who are unbelievers. Don't, don't befriend people who aren't believers. You know, James says, why are you friends with people who are in the world? And so we have this two, we got this two contrasting. It's like, what am I supposed to do this? Or am I supposed to do that? Your heart knows what you're supposed to do. Now, how many of you know people on both sides can't be, take on worldliness? You understand? It's like, well, I'm called to be Daniel. That's why I get drunk and smoke. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus never sinned. Hello. Let's not forget that. Daniel wouldn't eat the king's food. I'll finish with the story. I went to a particular country that God called me. This, if I start telling you the details, you'll know where the country is. And I don't want that to happen. But through several prophetic words and a divine encounter, I end up in this country. And when I go to this country for the first time, we are going out to this island where this country first began. No, we're going out to this island where the first church in this country was first planted. The very first missionaries went to this particular place and they, they built a church. It wasn't an island when they built it, but when this country changed its you know, dams and its waterways, it all got washed away, but they protected the church because it was the first spiritual building in that country. So we're going out to the island to visit that first church and to claim it for God. Some Benny stuff. 
some prophetic stuff that some of the team got. And we're waiting for this little boat. It's not very far. It's maybe from here to the highway. And it's this little clunky boat that takes you out there. And so we're waiting at the dock for this boat. And I'm standing. We're all just kind of standing. It's really cold. It's windy. It's winter. And I've got coats all like we're not. I'm really not prepared for this. They're all wearing, you know, like fur. Kind of freezing. I'm standing up against this wall. I'm waiting. I'm standing up against this wall because there's, it helps keep the wind from blowing through my whole body. And um, somebody goes, hey, look at that wall you're standing against. And I turn around. I'm standing against the wall. I step back from the wall that I'm standing on. And there's graffiti on the wall. And, and, the, and the letters are about this big. And it says K-R-I-S. <laughs> v. August, the month I was there, in graffiti. God's my witness. I'm, I'm, I'm there in this country, and I'm thinking, I'm having these kind of thoughts. I remember the bathtub experience. I'm here, and I'm thinking, I don't actually know what I'm doing here. I, I don't know what I have to give. I'm doing that. I'm having a not a good day. You ever had a bad day? Bill. Bill and I have. Bill and I have had a bad day before. Thankfully, they're getting further and further apart, which is nice. I'm having one of those low self-esteem. I don't know what I'm doing here. I feel totally overwhelmed. I'm with government leaders. I have no clue. Oh, I hope I haven't created an expectation. I can't fulfill. Da, da, da. I'm leaning against this wall, and someone goes, hey, look at the wall. The letters are so big, you can't read them up close. I step back, and it says, Chris, my name spelled by the way, isn't how they spell Chris in that country. V. August. It was like God saying, You're supposed to be here. I wrote it on the wall. <laughs> Lord, give me a sign. Give me a glory cloud. Lord, send an angel. Eh. I sent a gang member with graffiti. is more thankful for that than the glory cloud i'm not now i mean then i'm like you know what glory cloud was awesome but that that's my name that's my he couldn't spell my last name but he got my first name right just put v for my last name i don't if it was an angel he's like v you know it's possible that my angel can't spell It's possible. It's possible that you get an angel just like you. This is not, listen, this is a parenthesis. It's possible that your angel looks like you and has the same struggles you have. Isn't it possible? It's like, Chris, these fine. <laughs> painted in other colors. It was painted in another color. This was black and this was, this is green, red, and blue. Painted in other colors, just so he knows it's him. If he would have spelt it wrong, I would have known it was my angel. That's a real sign from God. Stand up, I'm going to commission you. You think this is my problem, it isn't. This is us. All y'all. 
When I was in the bathtub, he wasn't just talking about me. I'm not doing this by myself. It's all y'all. Come on, how many of you from Texas? Right? All y'all. So, I'm going to pray for you right now. All y'all. And the Lord's going to commission you. You're going to have your own bathtub experience. Let's just call it baptism experience. Okay? That way there's, there's no visual going on. Okay? Baptismal experience. You're going to have your own baptismal experience. And the Lord's going to send you into this coming year with momentum. So when you, when you start to exit Christ's mass, be ready. No, I'm being sincere. Joking, been joking a lot. Now I'm being sincere. When you start to exit Christ's mass, 25th, you better start getting ready. I don't know what's going to happen, but something's going to happen. Door's going to, I'm, well, God's going to send all of us to nations. No, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm saying your call is going to become clarion. It's going to become clear. And God's going to start sending you places. And you're like, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. It's like, Chris, I'm in, I'm in over my head. I am with you. <laughs> Get rid of all those troops. You only need 300. (gasps) I am with you. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I know. I chose you because you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Lord, I have no idea what to do when I get there. That's why I chose you. Because you don't know what you're doing. See this space right here that you live in? This Weaverville right here, this Reading? Yeah. You actually think you know what you're doing here. See, the difference is, is that you are deceived here and there you know the truth. See, right here, you actually don't know what you're doing here either. But you just think you do because you've been doing it so long. But there, when I get you over there, I really like it because you know that you don't know. And here you think you know, but you don't know that you don't know. So I like when I get you out of this box because there you actually have to have me because you don't know what the heck you're doing. He didn't say heck. You don't know what you're doing when you get out there and you don't know why they invite you there. Listen, actually, they didn't invite you for you. They invite you for me. Lord, I have no edumacation. You got me. Lord, I don't know how to talk. I got a problem. That's why I chose you to do the talking. Because you'll need me to talk. Most of you have talked yourself out of talking. Do it. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just praying for you right now. You probably should leave if you don't want this prayer to take root in your life. You probably should leave the building. Because I have a feeling that this is going to be like sovereign enough that it's going to feel really convicting if you don't, if history doesn't become what God told you. So you have a minute to leave. If you all leave, I'll change the message. 
So, Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would co-mission. That you would co-mission and co-mand everybody in this room and everybody who's watching by iBethel TV. That we'd feel co-mission. That we would be on a mission with you. You are a co-leader. You're the senior leader and we're the co-pilot. You're the commander and you've commanded us. Co-mand. You're with us in the mission. Lord, I just release 2012 as an epic transitional year of shifting governments from second to third heaven, reigning from our heavenly seat. And here's the word of the Lord. It's, you can find it in Revelation 4. Come up here. You need to come up here so that I may show you what must take place. Lord, I pray for our heavenly seat, for our high calling. Did you get it? It was a high calling. High calling doesn't mean a hard calling. It means up here. Your calling's up here. It's your high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There's vacant seats in heaven. You're like, I'm going to die. It's like, no, no, no. You're already seated in heavenly places. You got a seat there, but some of you haven't been home in a long time. You're on the you're, you're a caterpillar and the Lord's saying, hey, hey, there's a there's a metamorphosis going on. I'm calling you to be a butterfly. I'm calling you to live from up here. Come up here so I can show you. Listen, as long as you stay down there, I'm not going to show you what must take place after these things. You have to come up here so that your heavenly seat gives you eternal perspectives. Lord, I just release that right now. That there would be a position change in the heavenlies and there would be suddenly the heavenly throne would fill up with godly people who you said are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's a big bench. Lord, I just release that over every single person. That, that, that such a sense of destiny and purpose would grab their hearts that they would not be able to do anything besides what you call them to. There would be such a holy conviction. I'm going to use the word fear, but I mean it in the right way. There's almost a fear of not doing what God called you to do. Not not a fear you're going to die or anything, but a fear that you're going to that you would you have failed your lover. Lord, I just pray for that right now. That awesome... Sorry. That don't happen to me very often, man. That wasn't the brain burp. That was the Holy Spirit burp right there. Lord, I just pray right now that you would release that awesome sense of destiny that you have sovereignly released in in our personal DNA. I'm trying to articulate that you have a distinct DNA. You have a distinct calling that is personal to you. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Lord, I pray for that distinct calling to be clarified in Jesus' name over every single person in the sound of my voice. I thank God for some people's calling. I thank God for others.